Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by IrishIllustrated.com. Tim Priest with Pete Sampson, Tim O'Malley. It's Monday, February 5th. And it's signing week on February 7th, a little anticlimactic com- compared to previous years with 21 players already signed. But Notre Dame's certainly in on uh, at least five guys that we think will sign with Notre Dame and a few others. And um, So they will exceed the 25 limit. Seven of those freshmen are early entry and will be participating in spring practice um, coming up here shortly. So, uh, guys, uh, Pete, you've, yeah, I know you and uh, um, our, our recruiting crew have been on top of, you know, how Notre Dame's going to finish here. I think we're all kind of in, in agreement as to five guys, Luke Jones already verbally committed, including him, five guys that will in, ultimately end up with Notre Dame. Yeah, I'd say five is the minimum. Like, that's the floor of yeah. expectations um, where you would get Derek Eason, the defensive end uh, from the East Coast who's committed to North Carolina State, Sebo Flemister, uh, technically a Georgia Tech commitment or running back, uh, but he should flip to Notre Dame. Lawrence Keyes, the wide receiver from New Orleans area, I he's uncommitted. Probably the guy that I'm least confident about just because his like, – he should be in this class. It's just his recruitment is a little bit weird. Yeah. Um, and it seems like it's stretched out longer than I just, we anticipated. Yeah, I just like I, I get <laughs> I get some weird Deontay Greenberry vibes just because he took oh I took a visit to SMU. He's not going to flip to SMU. I mean, come on. Um, <laughs> so that and then um, DJ Brown, who I think makes the most sense of all of them. Uh, yeah. Now a former Virginia commitment. So it's like you get if you just get those four guys to go with Luke Jones. Then you're sitting at 26 commitments. Um, and then really, I don't want to say make or break, but if Nicholas Petit Frere ends up in this class, it the entire class looks different to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, especially with him, you know, signing on signing day when I think most people are, are pessimistic about that, and, and rightfully so. Well, of those first five that we mentioned, Lawrence Keyes is the best player there. Yes. And and, and joins um, Braden Lindsay and, and Kevin Austin, receiver, give Notre Dame, and, and Micah and Jones, Jones, who yeah. who definitely improved his senior year. I mean, that is a that's a really dynamic wide receiver core. And he's the only one here now that helps him. Yeah. Considering all the openings of wide yeah. receiver auditioning. It's, it's open auditions with, with Claypool out and everybody leaving. It, it's, I mean, I don't expect him. I think we all agree Kevin Austin. It's oh, he's big time, the, yeah. Make the biggest he's impact, big time. It, it I think certainly Lawrence, helps Jones that he's I here. think Lawrence Keyes is big time. He's just, you know, very small, and those guys don't normally get rated quite as high because of their size. But, you know, Derek Easton's a bit of a stretch, but I think he's a tough physical kid, so it's the kind of kid you take now. Obviously, Flemister, you need a running back. And, and you know, I've, I wrote this the other day. I've seen more kids this year that – dramatically improved from junior to senior year than I think at any other time that I can remember. And Flemister is on that list. He's a different back 
from when he was a junior. Um, and committed to Georgia Southern. I mean, that's that, that's the kind of improvement yeah. we're talking about. Oh, yeah, about. exactly. Um, you know, D.J. Brown, uh, D.J. Brown, again, I think is a guy that it's obvious to me that he he did some work in, you know, lower body strength, uh, you know, I mean, just getting a lot stronger and a lot more explosive. And I could probably name another six guys that I watched this year. Not everybody that Nordheim got. Julius Irvin, they're not going to get him. He made a significant improvement to make himself a legitimate cornerback prospect as a senior as opposed to just in name only as a junior. Yeah, it's uh, Eason, you know, you watch tape of him. Um, he feels like kind of tweener-ish to me. Yes. Um, and you're just like, well, why are they going to make a move on that? Because um, it seems like the defensive line is in good shape. But then you look at the, the scholarship breakdown and – with Eason, they would have 15 scholarship defensive linemen last year, which to me kind of sounds like a lot. But then let's if you remove Eason at there are 14, that would actually be the second lowest figure of the Brian Kelly era. Um, and that includes when they're running the 3-4, I sort of lump the, the Okwara, Shembo yeah. group as defensive linemen. So in reality, they, they are sort of understaffed there uh, without Eason. And, you know, after this year, they'll shed Bonner, Jay Hayes, Micah Dutreadway, um, Tillery. Tillery as well. It's, they they will need, they need somebody like Eason just for numbers at that position, especially defensive end recruiting, where they haven't, they haven't really done enough there over where the last few years. Period. Yeah, or just haven't. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, and what's going out the door next year, uh, they're, they're going to need another huge class coming in. So it's um I think it's a position where you sign somebody like a Derek Easton and hope a few years from now when Hay when Dalen Hayes, Khalid Kareem, and Julian Aquara walk out the door that that guy's ready to, yeah. to help you out. I think they may flip Justin Adamalola to the weak side and not not necessarily because he's the prototypical weak side yeah, end, but it gives not. him a chance. Yeah, because he's not. But that's a kid that's improved as well. You know, I don't want to go overboard with the whole improvement stuff, but He's improved as well. He's more mobile than he was, and I, so they may throw him over to the other side. And then you, then you have a complete line that you can put out there with freshmen. Yeah, it's just it, I think if you're just sort of looking at the the big picture items with Notre Dame and this recruiting class, it it should be the largest class that Brian Kelly signs, which is you know you can is that a good thing or a bad thing? I don't really know. I think it's just a it's a, a statistical note because, like, the larger class Weiss signed was that 2006 right. class, 28 which was just guys, a, a total yeah. mess yeah. Um, at the end of it. So, I went do, down to seven. If yeah, I recall. seven of the 28 finished their playing careers at Notre Dame. What I do like is that, and I asked Brian Kelly about this on the early signing period, is they are a lot more aggressive with the 85 man limit than they ever have been before. And I, to that, I would say it's about time. Um, that's. Notre Dame, I think, is sort of like tiptoed around the scholarship limits and like, oh, you know, we want to make sure it's the, the it's a family here in four for forty and like, well, if guys aren't contributing and not sort of participating or working hard enough, then you know, it's it's not it's not a right to be part of the football right. program. If you're it's a if privilege, you, right? Then you're not a legitimate four for forty guy. Yeah. You're not giving you're not giving Notre Dame the four. Right. Yeah. Brian Kelly alluded to this as early as 2011, but in one of those. Kind of ways where only about four reporters out of Sci-fars, fifty get it, yeah. and you know you're you're listening. He's but he said something like, "Well, some guys that we have in these upper class. This is all part of the rant, the famous rant about my guys. The part that get because this doesn't get broadcast at all." He said, "Some guys, especially the juniors and seniors, just like to wear that gold helmet and run out of the tunnel." I mean, he's alluding to guys I want to get the hell off my team. Right. 
But we all took it as the, you know, the crazy part was that you could see which guys are mine, and of course everybody ran with that. And that's Priester's fault for grilling him on it. I didn't, even re- I didn't even realize what the hell I was asking. I, cer- we cer- I, I certainly didn't realize we were going to get any kind of answer like that. Well, no, it was, it was unnecessary. For good reason. Was, although, although when he answered, we're all kind of like, our eyes are all shifting around, looking at each other like, who's going to be the first one to get to their laptop to write this up? Yeah. <laughs> It was, uh, yeah, that was a hoot. Um, I, I think in terms of handicapping Notre Dame's position with the four guys that are not in the Easton, Sebo, Flemister, Keys, Brown group, uh, Nicholas petit Frere, I think that's a, a Notre Dame or Florida decision. I think Ohio State is sort of hanging around the fringes there as well. Talking to people around Florida, they're not really sure. Talking to people around Notre Dame, they're not really sure. Uh, this, is a, this is a guy who... Did not give a damn thing away in his entire recruitment because I just don't think he had a, a thing to give away uh, and, until basically now and he's not talking to anybody. He start, he got started on his recruitment very, very late in the game. Um, you know, the he stand departure hurt Notre Dame, but the entire staff departure hurt Florida. And with Ohio State, the sort of local connection there, because he's from Tampa, was Greg Schiano, who had connections with Tampa. Well, he's leaving to go to the Patriots, so... It's a, it's, a, it's a really difficult one to read. Jarrett Patterson's Notre Dame or UCLA. My money would be on UCLA. Solomon Tuliapupu, I think, is definitely going to USC. And then Noah Boykin is the last guy. I don't... He was coming to Notre Dame about a month and a half ago, then got cold feet. Tariq Bracey took that spot. That spot's still there if he wants it. I think Notre Dame would take him and love to take him. But I would put my money on Florida for him. And so in order of probability of going to Notre Dame. Patterson uh, would be one, number one. I would put Petit Frere one. You would put him one. I was going to put him two. Yeah. I'd say, you know, you could make an argument for Patterson one. Yeah. Uh, and then Boykin would definitely be three, and Tuli Pupo, you, right. you could put him four or not list him. Up to you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Either way, he's not coming to Notre Dame. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, your, your choice. Uh, just to wrap up some news from the football program before getting into hoops. Terry Joseph officially announced as safeties coach. Um, not, yeah, you know, I think it's it's a good hire. I like the experience that he has. I mean, if if all you can do is judge hires off where they've worked at before, I would say this was a pretty good hire because he's worked at Tennessee, Texas A&M, Nebraska, um, connections at LSU, was at North Carolina last year. Um a younger guy, but very experienced. And I think that uh, I did, I picked up some sort of stuff on the recruiting trail based on him being on the road and talking to, you know, parents and players that there's a good chemistry with him and light, or at least they present a good chemistry. Um, and, you know, somebody like Derek Allen, who's going to be here in the summer is, is happy with the hire. Now, I'm not saying that's a reason you, that's not a reason to say it's a good hire, but, I think just a, it's a good first sign. We will say it's a good hire when Notre Dame safety start playing better. An interception, the first interception. That would be good. Well, they'll play better than they did last year, so yeah. he's already improved the team. Yeah. <laughs> Some things yeah. just work out. All right, Notre Dame, Notre Dame basketball is still, uh, still in its slide. Now lost seven in a row. Probably played their worst game of that seven-game oh, no, losing streak it. against NC State at NC State. NC State's playing much better ball. they got Markel Johnson, their point guard, back, and they're a completely different team. But when... You know, I think when John Mooney, it was right at the end of practice on Thursday and Bray wanted to give them another five-on-five look so Farrell could just get another rep. 
And Mooney jumps up and lands on somebody's foot and hurts his ankle. And he played eight minutes on Saturday, but they were ineffective. He didn't even shoot, and then he didn't play in the second half. And I just, I we we really we haven't had a chance to talk to the team yet since they came back from NC State. But you just kind of feel like once, you, you know, I mean they've they've been very steadfast in their hey we're still in this. But once Mooney hurt himself, it's like throw your hands up. What else can possibly happen? And then they go on the road and they just. Not only were they bad offensively, they were bad defensively. They weren't good at all in any aspect of the game Saturday. Yeah, they got to find a way to get this one against BC, and it's not easy because they're not going to be able to guard BC's guards. They're not going to be able to defend them. But you can win at home against Boston College. Um, you, you don't have an excuse not to anymore, right? even even with guys hurt. Uh, it's a big statement. And now, I will say one thing. Bonzi Colson, in his career against Boston College, six games, 39 of 56 from the field, 70%. <laughs> For his home state team. So they are still missing a guy that plays well against Boston College. You remember how well Zach August played at BC? Yeah, it's, I mean, they're a much different team. BC, the BC lost by one at Virginia. Just imagine the fact that they almost took one from Virginia. But now they, they also play poorly at times. Like North Carolina beat them by 30. That's going to yeah. be, it's, you, you never know they what you're going to. They beat Duke, right? Yeah, they beat Duke okay. with 15 threes. Um, so they're capable, yeah. obviously. Um, but Notre Dame can beat them at home. And you figure they might get the crowd support back because the crowd has been better this year. I think they, as Bray's right, they sense that they're needed. They were no, he was yeah. right. They were really the crowd was really good for the Virginia. You might game. get them back for Florida just by beating BC. You might get them back for that Saturday against Florida State, and then at least the team, if they're five and seven, can look at games coming up and yeah. think we can win some of these games and try and get in. They probably aren't. I mean, they're not going to get there. But at least the if you lose to BC, I don't know when you win again, right? Yeah, no, I agree there. But if you beat BC, you could win a couple in a row, or maybe four out of or what? four out of five, maybe you know, because North Carolina, you're not going to beat North Carolina. North Carolina probably, but yeah. seven in a row, man, it doesn't happen often. It happened to Bray with that uh, kind of lost season in '09 when they, but yeah. five of the seven were top ten that year. That's just brutal stretch of Big East. Yeah, this royalty. is just you're just not good enough against virtually anybody. You have four home games left. You need to win them all. BC, Florida State, Miami, Pittsburgh. You have four road games left. You're not going to beat North Carolina, probably. You're definitely not going to beat Virginia. You're at BC. If you struggle with them at home, you're going to, you're going to lose to them on the road. It's hard to imagine them sweeping BC. Anyway. We didn't they, think they'd sweep BC before Colson got hurt. So, right, right, I right. Think so, now. right. So it would really be something. So now. there are eight games left. They need to go six and two to to finish yeah. nine and nine. They can't even win a game. They got to go one and zero. They got to go one. They got to go one and zero. If they don't, do you know? And you will not, because I didn't either. And it took forever to find out. The last time Notre Dame basketball lost eight in a row. And Probably remember, Jeff- they lost a decade of basketball, Notre Dame, to. <laughs> Badness. It wasn't during the John McLeod era? It was era. not during the John McLeod era. It was Digger? It was Digger? not during the Digger era. Oh. Johnny D in 1966, the last time oh, he lost wow. eight row in one season. Now, Digger lost seven in a row to go two and seven at one point in his yeah. last year, which is pretty uh, bad. See, I only remember Johnny D during the Austin Carr era, and they weren't losing eight in a row. Eight in a row. I know. Well, I, I when I got to the beginning of the Digger era, or the good Digger, I just didn't look. Yeah, you don't have to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Those, yeah. yeah, but that's uh, that's. Well, I, I checked out Digger six and twenty, or they did not lose eight in a row. I curious, like you guys are more in the weeds with hoops than I am. What to what end would you put some, any, none of this on the head coach? As it relates to the just, current makeup yeah, of the team, I mean, if you're talking about could they have recruited current, better, current state of affairs. Okay, so all of it, not just. 
starting this year. Yeah, that's not like I'm not. No one in the right mind is be like, well, Mike Bray is to blame for Bronzy Colson breaking his foot. That's stupid. But, no, but I mean, you know, so could, so Nicola Jogo's playing logging heavy minutes for him now out of necessity. Could you have recruited somebody that would be better prepared no. in his second year in the program? Could you have? Could you have? And we were both against this at the time. Could you have decided that Matt Ryan was worth the headache because he'd be on the team hitting threes? Yeah, because Matt Ryan, and we've we alluded, we've we've alluded this lot, to this before. Yeah. Matt Ryan wanted out, wanted to, wanted out, but wanted to come back. Oh, and, to play, and, to play. He would have been happy to play and start and get a ton of shots. But that's not the same thing as wanting to come back and be part of the what was yeah. what looked then like a real machine program. Yeah. He but seemed expendable. I, but, but I'm saying... He's not. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> no, and we though. And we said right from the beginning they were a shooter short. Well, yeah. you know, when Farrell's hurt and Colson's hurt and yeah. Mooney's hurt and, you know, they're three shooters short. I, I, yeah, Harvey. Well, you, you have to... I, I don't blame him for telling Ryan he could go. Or like, I'm just saying, all right, maybe it's better sure. if you're gone. The foresight of... They really... And Tim, you mentioned this last year. They really like Jogo. He's clearly not ready. I like Jogo in the future. I think he has offensive he's skills. He's a good enough shoot. He yeah. just doesn't believe his shot's going to fall, and no, therefore it just, doesn't. Yeah, it's it, <laughs> how can they beat BC? Jogo could go two for five instead of zero for life. Right, that might help too yeah. because yeah. there's little things he's he could do to win for, these games. He's three for his last twenty-one. I would put Mike Bray very low on the list for this year. Mm-hmm. I think roster management of you have guys off the bench that are named Elijah Burns and Austin Torres are fine if you have somebody else that can play basketball. Yeah. They are just bodies, and Austin Torres played great. Austin for, for Torres, Austin Torres, Austin Torres was the State. best player yeah. on the court for Notre Dame. But again, Saturday. That is not a good thing. It's an awful thing. <laughs> so, yeah. that is what Pete's point is, I think there's a reason I, it, he was the best player on the court. I feel like they need there should have been a um a DJ Harvey equivalent in the front court on yeah. in, well, in the freshman class. You know, they're they're, one they're several like scholarships short of the limit. Yeah, that's yeah. I mean, right. Matt Gregory's number 10 or 11 just off the top of my head. They they right. he I'll, I'll he always functions with less scholarships because the Matt Ryan type situation. He doesn't like that. It makes him uncomfortable. And so he's avoided that. But when they, when the injuries stack up like they have this year, you know, and you have seven scholars, Matt Gregory is now the eighth healthy scholarship player. Yeah. Do you go as high as you say it's 10% um, roster management by Bray? Or do you just think, well, would this conversation ever come up ever if Bonzi Colson didn't break his foot? So that's, <laughs> and Matt Farrell. It probably wouldn't. Um, It'd still be a shooter short. Yeah, yeah, they wouldn't be going to the tournament. And TJ Gibbs would, you know, instead of logging forty-four minutes a game, would be at thirty-seven, <laughs> which is still not yeah. So a some of it situation. Um, now let's spin it to the players, though. Too, as I said, you could hit a tip in to beat North Carolina that you practiced yeah. for your whole life. You can execute. Although I would put it more on Bray, the Louisville, because continually calling for a high ball screen to bring their tallest, fastest defender to the ball. That was just ridiculous. Yeah, and um, and, and you know now in retrospect, he's saying, too. yeah, he's saying. You know, Farrell had no lift when he came why back. Is he well, then, so why is yeah. it? Yeah, exactly. You have other players. Yeah. So he's he is part of it. Obviously, it's trickle down from injuries. Um, injuries, eighty percent. Players and break. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. you know, it's mostly look, medically you're, bad. You're the, luck. This is how I looked at. It. You're the head coach. It's always at least partially sure, your fault. Sure. And the roster's not good if right you're now. Losing, you know. If you're losing, if you're losing, you're nineteen. Always... No fresh. <laughs> this is the twelfth uh, coat of paint. Yeah. yeah, no. Yeah. This is actually his. Is I mean, it's a little mini reboot for next year because they have plenty of talent coming in, and it's just it. Yeah, it, it's there is no silver yeah, but, lining though but, because they are losing 
this year had a first team All American and a second or third team All ACC point guard, and it's going to turn into yeah. A and next season. year, I mean, any way you look at it, next year's a huge transition year, and the the majority of those freshmen have to play. And you got, you're going to get Chris Doherty, who's from uh, August High School, so you'll we'll be able to gauge how he plays against BC because they play him twice a year. But um, that'll be your that'll be your dirty work guy that comes in. He probably plays right away just because he's a he's a junkyard dog, and you need you're losing Colson, you need a junkyard dog to play. And then because the other the other guys, it comes down to you know who can shoot, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and and you have you know Lashevsky and part of the game, yeah, Lashevsky and Goodwin are as we have found out this year. <laughs> a couple of those guys are premier shooters, so you know they have a they have a great chance to play right away. Yeah, it's I mean. You know, you'll and Gavin will be leaving too, which will yeah, be no, it's, that's it's relevant. Durham yeah. significant. You and know, until I happened? see Durham out there on a basketball court for Notre Dame, I'm not counting my chances. Yeah, because they're honestly. saying because he broke his hand or his wrist, and break. so he can do no. He's practicing yeah. now. He can do everything but lift. Well, that's yeah. what he needs. That's, what he, yeah. that's what he needs to do more than anything else. Hopeful on him, but I need he, to see. He will. Yeah. He will be a. They will have a basket protector to some some extent. He's which got the body they, for it, for yeah, sure. Yeah, which they, he's got the length, which they, they rarely ever have anything like that under Mike Brake. Yeah, all right. Well, that's a wrap. Segment one, Irish Illustrated Insider. We'll be back with questions next. Welcome back to Burning Up the Boards. Our first question from CMU Pens fan. I got that one right, friend. Yeah. If Chase Claypool is healthy for the start of the year, the starting three wide receivers for Notre Dame are Claypool, Boykin, and fill in the blank. Uh, young. That's mine too. Yeah, but I'm but I'm not sure that it's going to be Boykin and Claypool. Like I, I feel like those guys might end up logjam at the same position, so I could see them opening things up and it being more like Boyk or Claypool, Young, and Fink instead of two guys who with more similar skill sets like Boykin and Claypool. I don't. I think. I don't think Chip Long's a Chris Fink guy. I mean, I, I didn't you kind of get that impression this year? I, I mean, he barely played in the second half of the season. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, so that's what I that. think. Well, Michael Young's my answer as well. I mean, the guy that guy that made a play in a bowl game the last time they played found a seam in the back of the end zone and had the quarterback rolling to his left and made a play. Um, he was my answer in August. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. We, we liked him a lot from what we'd, we'd seen of him at uh, mainly at Culver, I guess. But, uh, yeah, I guess you're right, Pete. But, I mean, playing experience, Claypool certainly has the most now in that group. And Boykin is, I guess Boykin, no, heck, heck Fink is the, the most, uh, has the most playing experience there probably. But, I, you know, I don't think Chip Long's going to go. He's going to go bigger before he's going to go smaller. And I think Claypool, I mean, I know they're the same body type, but Claypool's a really good athlete. Claypool's got speed that you want the position there, I think. And Boykin is just to, you assume he's going to have a good spring and become a kind of leader of the position by default. I mean, yes. with that big play, uh, he is he's a smart kid. He's big. He's confident, obviously, now. And as long as he continues to progress, I would pencil those guys in, too. Now, I think... Penciling and starting wide receivers is irrelevant in the in nowadays. Yeah, I mean maybe it's there's so many guys. Maybe it's a freshman. Maybe it's one of the freshmen. Could be. A, I mean, it, it <laughs> could be a his guys dynamic at receiver um, based on where the position is right yeah. now. And I know Chip Long wants more speed on the field than what they had a lot of last season. I mean, would we all say Kevin Austin if he was here right now? I you know or Lindsey. We'll do a rank the recruits story later in this week, and I'm. 
probably going to have Kevin Austin number one. Um, as I watched his senior tape, I mean, that dude can freaking fly. I have a number one. And just runs away, around, over, through, jumps over people. He is really damn impressive. Um, and I think he just sort of like will fit Notre Dame nicely as a personality as well. So it's, um, you know, I, I like, look, I like Braden Lindsay a lot. But I like Kevin Austin a lot more than I like Braden Lindsay, and I like Braden Lindsay. So that uh, the receiver position, I think, is pretty yeah, much up in the air. Right. If they get Lawrence Keys, I mean, I, Lawrence Keys runs routes as tightly as a as a receiver can run them. Uh, I mean, I, I just I'm impressed. I'm blown away by all three of those guys, all three of those wide receivers. I think the biggest question on this is when Claypool's back healthy, ready to lift, and become consistent, because the one thing he needed more than anything else was an off-season with Notre Dame. He is going through off-season workouts. Now, I don't know what kind of upper body lifting he's doing, but in terms of the conditioning and all that, he's, that helps them. he's out yeah, there doing it, it uh, based on the videos that Notre Dame puts out. It'll be, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good question. I think he, he was trying to get us to you know maybe lean toward the freshman, but I think it's, it's going to be fun to see those guys. And with Micah Jones getting the early jump on him, um, you know, we'll see if he gets how many opportunities he gets this spring, but it's wide open there. B fifty four. Do you consider the close to this class a failure if Notre Dame misses on the two offensive linemen? I don't know if they're implying that they need to get both Nicholas Petit Frere and Jared Patterson. Just one, I think. Probably okay. just one. All right, so one offensive lineman and Boykin at corner. Feels like Notre Dame will fill spots with depth guys opposed to future starters. I. You know, I don't throw failure around that easily. No, I wouldn't feel that way. If you get Luke Jones, Lawrence Keys, DJ Brown, Derek Eason, and Flemister at, at running back, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say failure. Do you have gaps? Um, certainly. You know, and, and I mean, I think most Notre Dame fans would be happy with forget Petit Freer, just get Patterson at, at this stage of the game, and, and that would be great. Boykin. I just question what kind of a fit Noah Boykin is for Notre Dame and how and how long he will last at Notre Dame. I don't I don't know, you know, I just I I I just don't know number 1 about that. Number 2, I like their other two corners. I think Tariq Bracy is a really good football player. I yeah, bad for Boykin. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, what? Well, okay, we can talk yeah. about whether a guy's a good fit or no, not, I but I can't. I, 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 I agree. That's totally agree with that. But I, you know, we we have. To, it, I do think it's edited too much when you're talking about athletes. If you're if you're going to praise everybody, you can talk about the negative sides of things too. I wouldn't consider it a failure, but boy, is a huge difference if you just get petite for and don't right? Isn't no, it just a no. massive, massive? He's a first round draft choice. He's a first round. So draft the drop choice. off is remarkable. His skill set is first round draft choice. Yeah, I I wouldn't call it a failure if they didn't like. Let's just skip Boykin because they're going to get DJ Brown to go with three okay. to two other corners, a three corner class. Um, or no, I'm sorry, then it would be a they four could, corner class. Yeah, they could move Wilkins to receiver if they feel the need to do that. But they're probably going to get keys, right? So which they probably won't feel the need to move him to receiver. So anyway. If they get Nicholas Petit Frere, I think this will be the second best class of Kelly's era. Of the nine classes. We have, we have and the Smith class yeah, of 13. Yeah, that's number one, and then this would be number two. And that's that's based on the 24-7 sports team rankings formula. You just look at the output. But, but of you're throwing points. out, like, you know the 2011 didn't work out. No, that was no, a no, no, no. Okay. I'm saying on signing day. Oh, on signing day. The okay. points that Nori will have earned from stars and rankings and all that stuff. 
what the output of that formula with Petit Frere and the four guys I think that will oh. get, this class would be number two behind the 2013 class. If they don't get Petit Frere, it'll just be sort of like middle of the road. So I'm not going to call a middle of the road class a failure because I think it's ridiculous. The one thing I really well, like about this class with or without Petit Frere is that instead of most cycles where the star power is on the offensive line and tight end where Notre Dame can sort of snap their fingers and just get guys, it's at linebacker and defensive back and defensive tackle. So I like the way, I like where the, the best players in this class are positioned in a way that maybe it has not been that way in a, in a while. I like that you uh, going with the numbers, though. That's because yeah, in the hindsight, numbers are we, important. Well, they are, but in hindsight, we know the numbers were great for eleven and for thirteen, and thirteen ended up being the best class on the, yeah. on the field too. Yeah, and it's not like eleven was. Uh, I mean, eleven people for like they there. There's so much focus on Lynch transferred, and Ishak Williams wasn't very good. Well, Troy Nichols was on that class. Stephon Two was in the class, and you know they there was still a lot of material that that cycle. Irish 11:37. I read that the Baltimore Ravens owner was very close to firing John Harbaugh after not making the playoffs this year for the third straight year. If John Harbaugh fails again and is fired, will he be the new coach of the 2019 Notre Dame team? Well, if you tuned into our other podcast, High School uh, Girls Recruit Lacrosse Recruiting dot com, um, <laughs> you would know that John Harbaugh's daughter is uh, a lacrosse recruit and she was visiting Notre Dame recently was at the Virginia Tech weekend yes um and John Harbaugh was on out on that visit so there are some connections there all that being said I think that if Notre Dame had an opening at the head coach of the football program John Harbaugh would be an excellent person to fill it so will he be the coach in 2019 yes no I'll take the field. Yeah, that's take, the field. You'll take the field, <laughs> including Brian Kelly. Yeah, that's a good call on your part. Yeah, I guess that would take I'm gonna the field. I'm going to win that one. Kelly too. <laughs> that makes a difference, doesn't it? The bet, the wager there is tough. This is not how Pete and I make our beer bet wagers. Before I will take everything, and I will just take we this one. We had to have both thing. sides covered. We had to have all yeah. sides covered on that one. So. I said yes, and he said no. I, I think I would I would owe you 25 beers to just one. Yeah, if this, if this is part of the wagers, I think that's a tough one. <laughs> it's not... It, the, the concept is not foreign to us, let's just say that. No, no, and I, I think that even though when Brian Kelly was hired and Jack Swarbrick said, I think his first priority was sitting college head coach, I would not disqualify somebody like John Harbaugh because yeah. of that. He's been a position coach in college, and one of the things I, I love about the, his resume is he's coached, I think, on both sides of the ball, and he's been a special teams coach. I, mean, I also like the Super Bowl championship part of his resume as yeah, opposed yeah, to, yeah. you know, <laughs> Mac title and then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on to the Big East or whatever yeah, they were. Big East. East. <laughs> Her loyal son, in light of Tom Brady's 505-yard three-touchdown performance Sunday night, what is the most impressive performance you've seen by Notre Dame quarterback in a losing effort? This is right up my alley. But I'll wait for you guys. <laughs> most impressive performance of Yeah, Pete, you start. Because you're going to do this millennium, right? <laughs> Jeez. Um, and I'm going to go way back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, losing effort. I'd give you some fodder if you want. You know, I would say... Um, I mean, Golson at Florida State, I felt like was really good. Um, I think that's, 
probably where I would go. I'm sure that I'm missing like a Brady Quinn performance here or there. But I don't think that I am because when they lost, they lost by a lot. Like even even the USC game in 2005, I'm not sure that he was awesome. Just to go from modern. So the the Kelly era, there's only two options. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, when they lose, the quarterback does not play well. So Golson, considering the opponent at Florida State, 23-game winning streak. 313 yards or whatever. He threw one, He did throw one pick with three touch. He had a touchdown called back. He threw another pick at the end of the game that actually wasn't a pick. Jalen Ramsey was seven yards out of bounds. Oh, so God, that, that throw to Robinson in the end zone over Ramsey yeah. was freaking I mean, He had a awesome. great day. The only other one, and he probably disqualified him because he fumbled in the red zone, was Kaiser beat Stanford. And Kaiser mm-hmm. ran for 128 yards and passed for 250 yards in that game. Uh, I would but, go Florida State defense over yes, that Yes, that's, that's why I say Golson. Um, in the Weiss era... I mean, Jimmy Clausen was great in four of the five lo- or four of the six losses. You probably want to give Golden Tate credit for his five touchdown, zero interception effort against Stanford. That was Clausen in a losing effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was really good against Michigan. You guys remember the game in Ann Arbor? Three touchdowns, oh, including yeah. the game yeah, winner. Um, so Brady Quinn, the Michigan State game. Now he might get disqualified in 05. Because he throws an interception touchdown. Yeah. But he threw 467 yards and five touchdowns in a loss. The, the overtime loss at home. I think an interception touchdown knocks you out of the running, right? That's like a... You can't say the best when that goes... Yeah, I guess. It's an awfully good game. I mean, the other team has to ultimately to prove to be good. Yeah, that's that's why Florida State is a good one on there. Yeah. But there are not many. And I want to tell you, man, I was thinking about it. In Rick Meyer's seven losses, really bad. In five or six of them. Yeah. Tony Rice only had three losses, but and they're two of the greatest teams ever, but they were bad. Well, I still stand by, I mean, this is off the the topic, the subject here. I still stand by Jimmy Clausen's last season as the best I've seen a Notre Dame quarterback play throughout an entire season. Uh, he, his accuracy was just off the chart tremendous. He was great in four of the six losses. Like, his yeah. Pittsburgh, he was fine. Yeah. And the they were just, they the were just lousy. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I'll go the, I'll, I'll, be the way back machine guy here and go to. Are you doing Theismann for the record? Uh, yeah, yeah. Th- well, yeah. yeah. I mean, he was brilliant. He threw for 526 yards. It was in the rain at USC, where Notre Dame never won at at that stage of the the rivalry. Um, but it is the record for passing before, yards at Notre Dame. Yeah, that's that's before 98.9 percent of the people listening to this. So he's still in the record books, though. Yeah, he is, and. Golson's a really good call by Pete because I was thinking all the, thinking of all the losses. Man, Notre Dame's quarterbacks in the Brian Kelly era when they lose do not play well. It is it's ugly. They either play bad or average. Yeah. Golson was pretty good. I mean, you could say was he pretty good when they lose to Northwestern at home? Is that possible? You know, just because your stats are okay, it's not. No, no. no. So really, they don't play well when they lose at quarterback. The quarterbacks don't play well when they lose in this era. It's a quarterback driven offense. Yeah, because it's like even. Um... Kaiser at Clemson, it's like... You're not going to say he was great. He had a really good half. Yeah. Uh, And I think you adjust expectations about, well, this is his first road start. This guy's amazing. Um, And it's in a hurricane. Another monsoon game, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I'll I'll go Golson, Florida State. So now RPOs, which we talked about a lot when, you know, in the preseason. But we knew everything. And then we never saw them during the season. Oh, they Be- tried to run them. Because because <laughs> the quarterback couldn't execute them. But RPOs are now, that's national jargon because we saw it in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and you amazing. see how difficult it is to defend. You don't uh, hear the pejorative connotations of college offense anymore. 
as it relates to the NFL. Right. Like, I feel like you you consume NFL media, and the disdain for college football is just dripping. Yeah, and that's, Chip that's Kelly had a lot to do away. with Chip Kelly had a lot to do with bringing that in, and now, um, you know, he's back in the college game. And this is off topic, but and I don't care what the rule is. If they overturned the touchdown by Zach Ertz, oh god. There would be no reason to play football games and have touchdowns. <laughs> what in the world? I mean, I know what they're saying. You have to complete the no change, to change, play. change yeah. the rule and make yeah. it. Did he catch it? Yeah, I've played a lot of football and watched football in my life. That's a catch, well, right? They, it's they a are catch. going to. They have to. They couldn't change they took it. Three steps the yeah, yeah. <laughs> with yeah. the ball. Yeah, yeah. Chris it, Collinsworth was driving me crazy, telling me how I was going to be overturned because I have watched games before. Po- oh, oh God, you couldn't possibly overturn no. that. The only thing more annoying than the process being talked about at the college football level is the process at the oh, NFL level because it's more obnoxious <laughs> a catch that has to go on for 22 minutes uh, just as and, uh, versus the Corey Clement one yeah that's like that right. could have been you could have I thought the NFL was going to overturn that one because they overturn everything but that's a catch that's been a catch for 50 years yeah you know I, I could see the NFL saying, well, they juggle the ball at the end of it and they're playing the Patriots, let's overturn it. But the Zach Ertz one, he was just a football player that dove over the end zone and broke the play of the goal line, and we're sitting there looking at it for two minutes. Yeah. You can't tell me that's not a touchdown. And I don't care if there's been a precedent for Jesse James in Pittsburgh or whatever. That was annoying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I it's like, just... what? I thought I was watching a football game. And I'm like, wait a minute. You, like, NFL, you're screwing this up. Like, this is not a great game. It, it just would have gone off the air had they changed. <laughs> I agree. Just shut down. There's, there's no reason to watch Just a anymore. blank screen and everybody would go to bed then. Fittingly. Uh, our final question. Not J Tafel one after, oh, after the quarterback and safety play, which areas does Notre Dame need to improve most this spring, which we believe is almost exactly one month away from today. <laughs> it's two degrees outside. Another seven-week spring yeah. practice. Um I mean, it's pretty much on the offensive side of the football, right? I mean, it's, you know, running back without Josh Adams, wide receiver without EQ, didn't have a great year, and Stefferson, who was productive when he played. Tight end without Durham Smythe, uh, although they've certainly got good candidates there, but none of them are proven. It's pretty much on the offensive side of the football, isn't it? Other than special teams need to be, they need to be a lot better than they were last year. They were just, they were... They weren't bad. They were just extremely mediocre, and they need to be a lot better than that. It's a weird question because the running backs aren't going to be better than they were last year in terms of yards. No, I know. You know but what but means, yeah, they have to be. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't mean he asked a weird question. I mean, yeah. it's a weird way to look at it. Weird. Yeah. I, I, the offensive line is not the offensive line we saw. The reason so they the, were the best is because they had those two so guys. everywhere on offense. Yeah, the whole thing. I mean, a lot of it, I guess the offensive line is the only one that's not directly related to the quarterback play, too. Yeah, and but I mean, in some ways, I think that it is based on the protections being yeah. set and like a lot, like the fact that the the big highlight of Notre Dame's offense last year was an incomplete pass because Quentin Nelson picked up that Georgia safety who blitzed when Wimbush set the protection. Well, they had some good long runs. Well, no, Steve. I'm saying <laughs> like <laughs> that that play has sort of like lived on on Twitter yeah. because it was so ridiculous. But it was set up by Brandon Wimbush. Setting the protection the wrong way, and Nelson being like, "No, no, I need, I, I, I gotta get that guy." Um, so there, there could, there just needs to be a lot more efficiency uh, with Notre Dame's offense this year, and that may be a challenge considering 
all that is, has walked out the door. Um, but it's, is it year two of Chip Long? Does that make a huge difference? I think it just depends on the quarterback position. Yeah, but offensive line, tight end, running back, all those positions. Did you see where to, Daniel Jeremiah steps. from NFL Network has Nelson in the draft? Number two overall. I think. Number yeah. two overall. Yeah, I mean, I've seen him as like a top five in yeah. some spots. I mean, I think I think it's legit, and I think we've talked about Jeremiah before. He's very well respected. Sometimes, like I, when touchdowns are touchdowns, the best player is just the best player. If he plays guard, maybe he just had the best guard in the NFL for fifteen years. Yeah, I mean, and it's they, not that big of a deal. The Cowboys are like, man, yeah. I really regret passing on Johnny Manziel to take Zach Martin. <laughs> Which was like, that was a story at the time. <laughs> was it really? What a controversial <laughs> decision the Dallas Cowboys have made to take a 10-time Pro Bowl offensive lineman, oh guy, yeah, who's I not still, in the league. I still think guard for the number two pick is oh, sure. really, Probably, really high. But and not it, if he's the best. But No, I mean, there's there's I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, that's a he was a five-star guy coming out of high school. He was destined to play in the NFL and most likely be picked in the first round. And there he is now. The hard thing about Nelson and you're passing on him is someone's about to take him. So, like, when Larry Allen's the best guard of all time, he went in the second round because they found him out of Sonoma State, Dallas, I mean. Mm-hmm. They had to wait to the second round. And then they were probably like, we got to pull the trigger. We love this guy. If you don't take Quentin Nelson at four, let's say, he's going at six or seven. So is your guy better than him? That's right. what you have to work. Right. I mean, it's not like you yeah. can get him at 21, and then I understand how drafts work, and you have to be smart and value and all that. Like, taking Kaiser early made no sense because they're like, you know, we can just get him in the second round. But right. you're not going to get Quentin Nelson with your next pick. You no. may see you're, somebody may trade up to get him. So someone just take him. First. <laughs> <laughs> He's the best player in the draft. I'm not well-versed. And I've watched all of college football players on film, every single one of them, Tim. Have no, I haven't. Break but I am telling you right now, he's the best player in the draft. Did you break down all that film, Tim? What were you going to say, Pete? No, I was saying, I was just looking over the draft order. For some reason, I thought the Browns had multiple... Uh, they should. Multiple, like, should. top ten picks. Why, because they always do? Yeah. Feels like they should. They're supposed to. Yeah, no. They didn't trade for it, but they said, no, Browns, saying, go like, ahead and take it. <laughs> The Browns would be a uh, counterexample to you. Like, if they pass on Nelson at one, their next pick is actually a four. <laughs> See, if they can pass on Nelson at one, then I will not blame them for that. Yeah, but top ten. Cleveland, the Giants, the Colts, the Browns again, Broncos, Jets, Bucks, Bears, or Eastan, Niners, <laughs> and Raiders. I feel like Quentin Nelson will be going to one of those nine yes. uh, pro franchises. Can you imagine if he's available to the Bears in the eighth? Spot with with uh, he stand there, and they draft a receiver. <laughs> oh, no. That would be uh, that would be something. Well, I hate to say it, but we have unfortunately entered NFL draft season because oh, uh. signing day is Wednesday, and then it's just draft prognostication, mock draft after mock draft for three months. For three months, so thank God for spring practice. <laughs> uh, but that's it for this week's Irish Illustrated Insider podcast. We'll be back next Monday. We'll have some access to Brian Kelly. Wrap up signing day. Probably talk a little bit more about the. The coaching staff um, and where Notre Dame's recruiting class finished up as well. So until next week, Pete Sampson, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, thanks for listening.